experience that love of God over and over again in our lives. And I've invited a, a friend of mine and one of our church family members, Lisa Brodine, to come and share a little testimony with us about how she has experienced the love of God in her life over the course of the last few months and years. And I know, Lisa, you are very excited to be up here in front of everyone today, right? Right. Yeah. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of girl. <laughs> well, we're very thankful for your willingness to share a little of your story with us today. Let's start by telling us who is your family here at Friendship, and how long have you been coming to Friendship Church? Uh, my husband, Scott, and I started coming to Friendship Church back in 1995 with our two boys. Um, those boys are now men, and uh, they also attend here still. Um, our oldest son, Andrew, is married to Heather, and we have two grandchildren, uh, Eli and Vivian, that are just a joy. <laughs> and Lisa, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your kinds of churches that you grew up in? And mm -hmm. then when did you actually, in faith, commit yourself to Christ? I grew up in the United Methodist Church. Um, we went, my parents brought us to church faithfully every Sunday. We, we attended every Sunday. And then I also was, grew up in the youth group there on Wednesday nights, kind of similar to here, actually. Um, and I totally would have con considered myself a Christian my, my whole growing up time. Um, but then when I was in high school, later in high school, I, um, a friend of mine from the volleyball team invited me to her church service. And I heard a completely different message. Um, I, I heard that I was a sinner in desperate need of a savior. And I hadn't heard that in the church that I had grown up in. And um, I did accept Jesus as my savior that night at that service. And then over the next couple of decades, I would say, it was kind of a deepening of my faith through the various uh, challenges, opportunities, blessings that God had given us. I, I, my faith just kind of grew um, from there. Um, but kind of the one defining um, moment for me was, um, as most of you know, or some of you know, I guess not most probably, if some of you know, I have a, my younger son Greg has, was born with medical problems and was significantly developmentally delayed. And um, in the year 2000, we went to the Mayo Clinic and we did a three-day tour there of various doctors and diagnostic tests and all of that. At the, it kind of culminating all of that, we, we, uh, heard from the doctors that they had no idea what his diagnosis was either. Um, and um, it was after that that I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard God just telling me, they don't know, but I do, and it's going to be okay. Hmm. And um, that was really the moment that I feel that I made Jesus the Lord of my life, not mm -hmm. just my Savior, but the Lord of my life. And lots changed after that. Yeah. And Lisa, I know in the years that you've been following Jesus that you have prayed for your mom a lot and shared the gospel with your mom a lot. What, what have been barriers to your mom receiving the gospel of Jesus? Yeah, well, part of it is having grown up in the church and going to church her whole life. My mom is 92 now, so she's been going to church for a lot of years. Uh, but having that message that if you're good enough, you go to heaven was a barrier. Um, and also, honestly, um, having your daughter tell you more about Jesus is probably a barrier too, right? Um, so, um, you know, I think at the root of all of it, pride. We think we know best. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, those were big barriers for my mom. Yeah. I know best. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Yep. Yeah, those are challenges. <laughs> and so, uh, earlier this year, uh, your mom, after all of these years, 
submitted her life to Jesus Christ as her Savior. Would you yes. tell us about that? Yes, I'd be glad to. Um, well, over all the years, we've been praying for my mom for two decades, literally. Um, and she's an avid reader, so I've been giving her books and all kinds of different things to be reading along the way. And actually, it was this summer, and um, Sharon Whitmore, you reminded me of a book that I had on my shelf that I hadn't given her. And it was a book, to, it was just, it's such a small, simple read that was called How Good is Good Enough. And it really got at the issue that was central to my mom's, the, the central barrier to my mom's belief. So um, she read that. And then we got together afterwards, and I asked her what she thought about it. And she said, well, I didn't really think one way or another about it, which is my mom's way of saying, we're not talking about this. <laughs> and and I, I just felt God nudging me to, to kind of dig deep, a little deeper. And um, as, we, as I pushed a little bit more and I asked her some more questions, I found out that she indeed had a lot of questions, and she really wanted to talk about it. Mm. And it was just a blessing. We, we talked for mm. about... 30, 40 minutes about it, and at the end of all of that, she accepted Jesus as her Savior. Mm. So, 92. Yeah. 92. <laughs> Never <Amen>. stop praying. <laughs> oh, amen. Can, can you share a little bit about how you've seen God's love in all of this situation? I've seen God's love all over the place on this. Um, first of all, as I reflected on this, in my life, it took me a couple decades too, right, to make him Lord of my life. Um, and just the way he loves us and gives us uh, opportunities, challenges, blessings in our life that draw us closer to him. Just amazing. And they're really bringing me here, um, my friendship family. Um, my family has been praying for my mom for those couple of decades. Um, and Scott's siblings have also been praying for her for so long. And now our, our small group has been praying as well. And having all of that whole group of people praying for my mom. And many of you as my friends here in my friendship family too have been praying for her. And it's just, I see that amazing love. And then I look at my mom and I think all those times, all those opportunities he's given her, mm -hmm. he never gave up on her. Yeah. He, kept, he kept pursuing her mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and giving her other opportunities. And this year was a tough year for her medically. And um, it was just wonderful to see God bringing her through those things and putting people in the right places at the right time so that she did make it through all those things yeah. and ended up accepting him. Amen. Would you just pray with me real quick to give God thanks for his grace and his mercy and his love. Father, we're so thankful for what you have done in this situation, for your patience and your mercy, the way that you treat us like children and care for us and draw us to yourself. We're thankful for those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite all of you. Would you stand with me? Pastor Art is going to lead us in a responsive time of prayer and praise to God. Merry Christmas. As Matt said, I'm, I'm Art Hansen. I'm, I have the privilege and the honor to be the care pastor and to be praying and caring for all of you. So praise God. I love Friendship Church. Thanks, Lisa, for sharing that testimony. We want to look at page five. We encounter God's living word, testimony of God's love. Our Father in heaven, you are a gracious God. Our Father in heaven, you are a merciful God. Our Father in heaven, you are a righteous God. 
Our Father in heaven, you are a holy God. Our Father in heaven, you are a good God. Our Father in heaven, you are a redeeming God. Our Father in heaven, you are a saving God. We worship and adore you. We are your holy people. We will serve you and you alone. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Christ, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there with the angels a multitude angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son to the world so that we might live through him. In this, the love of God, not that we have loved God, but that he, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's abide in us, and his love is perfected in us. Thank you so much, Bell Girls. Propitiation. Yes! <laughs> I love it. Nice work. Oh, it's so good. Well, once again, friends, Merry Christmas. Uh, the calendar says that it is December 24th. But if you go outside, it feels like October 24th, right? What does the old song say? I am dreaming of a brown and muddy Christmas. And that is what we have, Florida Christmas, friends. Uh, I am so thankful that when we celebrate Christmas, we don't celebrate having the right weather. 
but having the right Savior. And that's what we do here today. We've been celebrating Christmas here at Friendship Church through a sermon series called God Is, in which we are talking about the attributes of God that are most clearly seen in the birth of Jesus Christ. And what kind of attributes have we seen thus far? We've seen that God is sovereign. God is holy. God is just. God is merciful. Next week, we're going to see that God is faithful. You want to be encouraged? Come next week and hear about the complete faithfulness of God. But today, we're going to look at that attribute that may have popped into your head first when you heard the phrase, God is. God is love. Did you hear that just a moment ago? So adorably read out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. Note, it doesn't say God is loving. He is, but it's way more than that. Right? Do, do you recognize the difference, the distinction between simply saying loving and saying God is love? I might say that a person is loving. As a matter of fact, I would say that my wife is loving. And by that, I mean that my wife often shows love to all kinds of people. But I would never say that my wife is love, that she is the origin of all love in the universe, that all love flows from her, that love is defined by her character and her actions. My wife is pretty great, but she is not source and definition of all love in the universe great, all right? But God is, right? God is. He is love. Verse 7 says, all love comes from Him. Every bit of love that exists has its origin in Him. Love exists because of God, and love's DNA is determined by God's character and actions. He defines what love is. So how would He define it? What is love? When we talk about God is love, what do we mean by that? Because we use the word love in a lot of different ways, don't we? Uh, I have multiple times stood on this stage and declared to you, I love ice cream. What do I mean by that? I mean, I like to put large amounts of ice cream into my oversized mouth. That is all I mean. I don't have a relationship with ice cream. I don't talk to the ice cream. I just mean I like to eat it. Right? That's all I mean. I love ice cream. Uh, my wife and I were watching a show a few weeks ago, and on it there was a young lady who said about a young man that she was falling in love with him. What did she mean by that? She meant that she was having feelings of affection and attraction that were growing towards this young man. Uh, it won't surprise you that by the end of the show, she had fallen out of love with that young man and fallen in love with a different young man. Right? When she declared that she'd fallen out of love, what did that mean? That meant that those feelings of affection and attraction had waned and they were getting fired up for somebody else. Right? That's what she means when she says, I'm falling in love. When God talks about love in the Scripture, the love of God that has been expressed towards us, he means something totally different than this. 
The, the, the word that is translated love when we read God is love is the Greek word agape, which means to sacrificially give of oneself for the good of another. Right? To sacrificially give of oneself for the good of another. The most famous verse in the Bible is probably John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That's right. He gave what was most valuable to him for our good. That's love. The willingness to sacrificially give of yourself for the good of another. We read 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 just a few moments ago. What did it say? This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us. And he what? Sent his son or gave his son as a propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. What is love? It's the giving of what is valuable. The sacrificial giving of ourselves for the good of another. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is that. He is love. He is the sacrificial giving of himself for the good of others. What beauty there is in that. And we see God's love expressed in the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Immediately after we read God is love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we read this in 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest or made clear or made evident that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. When we read Luke 2, and we read about Mary and Joseph making that 85 to 90 mile trek down to Bethlehem while she was pregnant in response to the, to the census that had been put in place, when we read about there being no room for them in the inn, but instead her having to give birth among the animals, when we read about Jesus needing to be laid into a feeding trough as his first bed, these are all expressions of the love of God. Because Jesus was willing to give up being God alone and clothe himself in humanity. Take on the nature of being a human being forever for our sake. That, that is the love of God. Theologian J.I. Packer speaks of it like this. God became a man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the Incarnation. It is impossible for us to understand all that Jesus sacrificed to become a man. We don't understand the stooping involved to go from being God to being God and man. C.S. Lewis tries to illustrate the sacrifice of love that is involved like this. He says, lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. If it would help all dogs in the world, would you be willing to become a dog? 
Would you, would you put down your humanity, leave your loved ones, your job, hobbies, your art and literature and music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak. Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. Dare I say that I'm not sure this illustration paints the full picture because the difference between human beings and dogs is nowhere near the difference there is between infinite, almighty, majestic God and the human creatures that he has made. It may very well be That this illustration would resonate more with reality if instead of dogs, Lewis had chosen termites. For the sake of all of termite kind, would you be willing to become a termite? And that is precisely what Christ did. Giving up that place in glory, putting on human nature, becoming one of the creatures of the dirt that he had made in order to bring us life. Why would he do that? The answer is because God is love and he loves you. God is love and he loves you. But 1 John 4 says that God's love goes beyond simply becoming a human being. God's love extends to Jesus sacrificially coming and serving as a substitute on our behalf in order to take the punishment that our sins against God deserved. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the very next verse says this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation right, for our sins. Jesus came to earth in order to be our propitiation, which is a really big word that means He served as the substitute who took the punishment that we rightly deserved. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was deeply distressed and deeply troubled, we are told that he was sweating great drops that were like blood. He was in such deep distress, not because of the physical tortures that he was about to undergo, not because of the physical death that he was about to die. He was in deep distress, he says, because of the cup of the wrath and punishment of God towards sin that he was about to have to drink. Why would Jesus go through this on our behalf? Why would he stand in as our substitute? The answer is because God is love, and he loves you, and he loves me. Do we recognize the love of God as it is shown in Jesus becoming our substitute? Charles Coulson tells a story about a group of guys who did. Uh, Charles Coulson, before he passed away a few years ago, was the head of a a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And as such, he got to visit a prison in Brazil called Hemesha Prison. This particular prison, 20 years before Coulson visited it, had been turned over to a Christian missions organization out of frustration from the Brazilian government. For years, this particular prison had been known for prison riots, prisons killing other prisoners, guards abusing and torturing prisoners, and even executing prisoners uh, of their own will. And so the Brazilian government, in frustration, responded to a request 
from a Christian mission organization to turn administration and management of the prison over to them. They brought missionaries into the prison to begin to proclaim the gospel to the prisoners. And it was incredibly slow going at first. Violence continued. Colson says after two or three years, there were two prisoners who had become followers of Jesus Christ. But after five years, there was a handful. And after 10 years, prisoners were breaking into small groups all over the prison in order to study the Bible together. 20 years into this experiment, Colson arrived on the scene in order to see what God was doing in the prison. And what he describes is a prison atmosphere in which all of the ministries of the prison were being run by Christian prisoners. He, he writes this. All the daily chapels are run by prisoners, as are the Bible studies and prayer meetings. Everywhere I went in the prison, I encountered prisoners who were on their way to study the Bible or join others in prayer. Verses from the Psalms and the Proverbs decorate the walls of the prison, and I was told that they'd been put up at the request of the inmates. When I was given a tour of the prison, the tour was led, of course, by a Christian prisoner. As we toured the prison from top to bottom, we reached an area that was underneath the facility. My guide told me that this is the area where the notorious punishment cells that had been used to torture, starve, and kill prisoners were located. As we walked down the corridor to the main cell at the end of the hall, my prisoner guard put the key into the door lock. But before he turned the key, he asked me, Are you sure you want to go in? Then in a quiet and hesitant voice, he told me, There's still one prisoner in the punishment cell. I was curious and a little impatient. After all, I'd been in the worst torture chambers around the world. And so I replied, yes, I want to go in. But I wasn't fully prepared for what I found inside. Slowly, my guide swung the door open, and I saw the inmate in that punishment cell, a beautifully carved, life-size crucifix, Jesus hanging on the cross. I was astonished and confused about why it was in there, and I turned around to get an explanation from my guide. And all he could softly say through the tears running down his cheeks was, he's doing time so that I don't have to. Jesus did the time so that I don't have to. He paid my price. He took my punishment. Why would he do that? Because God is love, and he loves you. Why does he love you? Why does he love me? Does he love me because I am just so stinking lovable? I am just so lovely? No, that's not the message of the Bible. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, It was while I was in the midst of my sins and rebellion against God that Jesus chose to go to the cross on my behalf, that he chose to die for me. It wasn't because I'm lovely. It wasn't because I am extremely lovable. It's because God is love, that he loves me and he loves you. And he gave his son as a sacrifice on our behalf. God is love and he loves you. Have you ever placed your faith 
in the God who loves you? John chapter 3, verse 16 that I referenced earlier says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, the one and only Son, will not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in the one and only Son of God? Have you ever placed your faith in his salvation? Have you ever said, Lord, I repent of running my own life my way, and instead I acknowledge you are meant to be king over my life. I want life your way. Have you ever placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? If the answer to that is no, Jesus invites you to do that right now, to place your faith and your trust in him. If the answer to that is yes, you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, then we want to celebrate that together by taking the Lord's Supper or communion with one another. We want to celebrate that by taking the bread that represents Jesus' body that's been given for us and the cup that represents His blood that was shed so that our sins might be forgiven. We want to celebrate that by recognizing that Jesus died on our behalf and then was raised to new life so that we might have new life forever with Him. Today, as we celebrate that and take the elements together, I want to invite you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to come and take these elements with us. We're going to have four of our pastors lined up across the front, and the ushers are going to come and dismiss you by row from back to front. And we'd invite you to come and take the elements with us in the front, and there's little trash cans that you can throw those cups in when you're done. And we want to celebrate this Lord's Supper, the communion together, and celebrate what Jesus has done in remembrance of Him. I'd invite you to turn in your worship folders to the page that has the Lord's table on it, and in a moment, there'll be a part where you can respond to what I'm reading. Those who are disciples of Jesus Christ are invited to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. The bread and the cup represent Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, where He took the punishment for our sins so that we could be cleansed from guilt and righteousness. The bread. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We eat the bread in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The cup. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We drink this cup in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We proclaim the Lord's substitutionary death for sins and the forgiveness we have received through it until he returns. We'd invite you to take the elements as we worship the Lord together.